0: Good morning and welcome to episode 625 Mm -hmm. of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, brought to you by the Play Index at baseballreference.com. I'm Sam Miller with Ben Lindbergh of Grantland. Hi, Ben. Hello. And um, we have a guest today. The guest is the author of the Yankees chapter essay in the BP Annual. Uh, he is a writer for Grantland and the former editor in chief of Baseball Prospectus. He is Ben Lindbergh. Hi, Ben.
1: Hello, hello. Thank you, thank you.
0: How uh, how are you?
1: I'm all right. We Good. also we're gonna have a second guest later in the episode.
0: Yeah, we are. Uh, after we talk to Ben Sahadev, we'll be talking to Chad Jennings of the Journal News and the um, writer of the HUD Yankees blog. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that'll happen in about twenty-ish minutes. In yep. the meantime, it's just me and Ben today by chance. Don't,
1: um, don't limit me. We don't know how long I'll talk.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so, you wrote the Yankees essay. and I did. So, we're going to talk to you about the Yankees. But um, I wanted to ask you specifically about I don't know how much we'll talk about the specific uh, angle that you took, uh, which was the, the more, uh, most of the essay looked at the impact of Derek Jeter on the Yankees as, as a financial thing. Mm-hmm. And it was fascinating. I was shocked by your conclusions, by how profitable Derek Jeter was for the Yankees last year, or it seems to be. Uh, you did a lot of legwork to try to answer that question and to figure it out. Uh, and, and your conclusion is that uh, it was a—it was basically the only thing saving the Yankees from a disaster of a season uh, and that he was worth, uh, what was he getting, $13 million? He was worth that and much, much more.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, is this, do you think only applicable to Jeter, is there any player and or team combination in recent history that you think could rival this? Do you think, for instance, like let's say that Chipper Jones is, let's say, I don't know, one-fourth the celebrity that Jeter is. I don't know if that's true, but let's say he's one-fourth. Do you think he brings in one-fourth the the revenue in his final season, in his, in his um, walk-off season, or... Do you think that until you reach the point that you are like Jeter, you just don't move the needle at all? And maybe even Jeter, maybe maybe only in New York do you move the needle at all?
2: Mm.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't know whether the Chipper Jones retirement tour was drawing people on the road really. I guess one could check and see. I could imagine I, I mean the Braves were were pretty good in at the end of Chipper Jones' career, so maybe it's harder to tell. It was sort of the Jeter effect seemed more transparent just because of how large the attendance decline should have been last year from everything we knew about the Yankees. And then it turned out to be the opposite. So I would guess that, I mean, Braves fans would go see Chipper Jones in his last games with the Braves. I'm sure if, you know, when David Ortiz announces his retirement, I'm sure Red Sox fans will go see David Ortiz. But I don't think there is any player team combination that is even close to to the Jeter Yankees level. And I I mean there was a there was a whole chapter in Vince Gennaro's book Diamond Dollars about marquee valley mar- marquee value, the, the value that a player provides off the field through attendance or or merchandise sales or just sort of hard to quantify brand awareness. And the conclusion was that it probably doesn't matter all that much for that many people, but there was like a Jeter exemption to that. And that mm-hmm. was in 2007, and I talked to Vince when I was writing the Yankees essay because it, it just it seemed to sort of bear out how dramatic the Jeter effect was. And, and I guess, I don't know, you're probably overselling the amount of legwork and research that I did, but <laughs> <laughs> but I looked at some attendance numbers and I, d- <laughs> I divided them by the number of games that the team played, <laughs> so that was pretty extensive. I No, it, but it was just... Uh, from all, account- from all indications, the Yankees should have lost a lot of attendance last year. It was their second straight year out of the playoffs for the first time since 92-93. And as Vince established in his book, Yankees fans seem pretty sensitive to losing because they are so conditioned to winning that when the team is bad, they desert the team more than, than another team's fan base that isn't so used to winning would. And that seemed to be the case in 2013, where despite the Rivera retirement deal, which was a a fairly big, big thing, their ratings fell off by a third, their attendance fell by 3,000 fans per home game, which was the sixth largest drop of any team. And this was a second straight year of that, and really even lower expectations than the previous year, they were not even projected to be all that good, and they fell out of Contention uh, their playoff odds fell below 50% in June. Um their their probability of winning the division never reached 40%. So you would have thought that they would decline by a lot and instead they went up and it's really hard to come up with a reason why the Yankees would have drawn more than 2000 fans per game more last year than they did in 2013 other than cheater. And I guess a, a position player retirement tour is probably more compelling than a closer retirement tour because you know that he's almost certainly going to be in the lineup. You're almost certainly going
0: to get your chance to cheer him. Yeah, although the, there is also a difference in that you got to see Mariano assen- you know, essentially being Mariano. Yes. But if you lucked into one of the you know the one in three games that he came out to save save a game, you did get to see him basically as good as he was in his prime. Yeah. And with Jeter, you were watching him stand at shortstop and, you know, ground out four times. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not, it's kind of like seeing, um, you know, the, like the Rolling Stones now, yeah. s- sort of. Although, I don't know, you, you, have you I seen did the
2: that. Rolling Stones now?
0: Yeah. <laughs> I, did, I, did, I did it. <laughs> I could have, I maybe should have shot for a different act. Like, uh, like, uh, like, uh, I don't know if he does out there, but Arthur Lee is constantly uh, touring around here. Arthur Lee <laughs> died. Okay, so he was. Yeah, back, I would have liked in, to see Arthur Lee, but yeah, I didn't. Back, yeah. when, back when I was like uh, in college and, and first few years in Orange County, there were oh, I was just always Arthur Lee of love. <laughs> it was just Arthur Lee of love that like not even love. He's just Arthur Lee of love, and so it would have been kind of like that because um, mm-hmm. uh, it probably wasn't that good a show. Maybe I don't know. Maybe it was. I, I listened to Forever
1: Changes a lot. I don't know you whether know, it would noticed, have been as good as that.
0: I noticed the other day that. Uh, so, Forever Changes was the, the headline in your farewell column. That's right. And today I was doing a little archive research, and I found a article that had run a couple months earlier that I had already headlined Forever Changes.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Couldn't even be original in my farewell.
0: No. So, um, so the key quote that Vince Gennaro, that you quote Vince Gennaro saying is, it's inconceivable that the Yankees made less than $25 million on Jeter's marquee value in 2014. If someone were to claim it was considerably higher, I'm not sure how to argue against it. And it does sound like he would probably put the number more like $50 million. Would it Would it completely shock you uh, if uh, 15 years from now in the memoir or whatever, Jeter sort of says that he played because uh, he felt like he owed it to the franchise and he wanted to give the franchise the farewell that that would be so profitable? Would, would that shock you if Jeter said that? Or do you really think that Jeter was out there? Uh, playing for uh, under the the delusion that he was still a, a good contributor.
1: uh both I think I, I think he probably still thought he would be a good player, but I also think that he probably would have preferred to do it a different way. i, I don't I don't think it was his idea to announce it before the season and have it be a season long thing. I mean, it could have been i I don't know, but from what I understand, he was not enthusiastic about the idea, which I mean, makes sense. It's a lot of attention on a guy who was just trying to come back from injury and prove that he could be good again. But yeah, how do you, how do you turn down that request? I guess if you're, if it's (laughs) worth that much to your team and you're Mr. Team player, that's the ultimate expression of your team playership.
0: Does being a team player though, uh, last longer than you care to be on the team? like, does he have to be a team player this year? Does, well, is he still, is, he, does, is being a team player like a sort of in perpetuity kind of a deal? As long as you're able to help the team, you you must, even if you've left them. I think it, it was announced that,
1: what, he wouldn't be at something. He wouldn't be at spring training or he wouldn't be at opening day or something like that. And I wouldn't be surprised if maybe he was one of those guys who waited a little while to start doing the the legends, you know, the, the old timers game sort of stuff, just because he seems like he wants to accomplish things in his post playing career that are more, more ambitious than just showing up and taking a bow. So maybe it'll, it'll take a while before he gets to that point. But, but yeah, if you're, I mean, that's kind of the the thing like these players who become fan favorites for the Yankees, I would imagine are lucrative assets for the franchise for Decades to come. I mean, as even this year, the Yankees have been mocked a lot for retiring every existing number that has not been retired this season. And it makes sense that they would do that now because they don't have a retirement tour to draw people for this season. And so... You get your number retirement days. You get a Bernie Williams day and you get a Andy Pettit day and a Jorge Posada day. And you're insured of a, you know, assured of a set, a sellout or, or good attendance on a day when you might not otherwise have it. So maybe it seems uh, a little crass or calculating that they are doing it all at once, almost sort of in a transparent profit grab, but that's, that's the benefit of establishing fan favorites they serve your organization well for years to come
0: when you say that it is your understanding that he didn't want to announce before the season and have the big farewell
1: mm-hmm.
0: is that a reported thing or is that your understanding from yeah no it's it, that's uh,
1: people said that like players who played with him said it yeah. uh, you know that it wasn't something he wanted to do um so i don't know i i probably gathered that from from beat writers or something so yeah I, I would I would think that's accurate, but because it it seemed almost like uh, you know, the retirement tour, I mean he's the stereotypical, I mean, he's the classic example of the guy who doesn't want the focus to be on him and every after he has a good game, he says that he's just happy, he helped the team, and this was kind of the opposite of that. It was totally the focus on him. And I can buy that that he genuinely didn't want that or was uncomfortable with that. But that it was so valuable that, I mean, even though he was making $12 million to be, by BP's metric, the worst player in baseball, he was probably a, a bigger financial asset than most good players in baseball.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, when we talk about what a player is worth, we talk about what he's worth on the playing field, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, like, if he's worth two wins, we call that $14 million because that's what teams pay for two wins is like the thinking behind that. Mm-hmm. However, it's the 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 premise underlying that even still is that wins are worth money because you make it to the playoffs and you get money, right? Mm-hmm. By mm-hmm. making them. and so that's why people will justify an 86 win team uh, spending money that maybe a 66 win team wouldn't be justified spending because it pushes them into the playoffs and the money is and so we don't often talk about it as explicitly a financial thing. Uh, yeah, like we've
1: it's... talked about it as the opposite of that, didn't we? We once discussed oh, right. a Neil DeMoss article, was it? That, that yeah. like you can't really justify most free agent spending and that it doesn't seem like it's a dollar-for-dollar dollar or dollar-for-more-than-a-dollar dollar arrangement that teams necessarily get back as much as they spend in that area. So. But maybe when you factor in franchise values and how, how much higher those are going and the Yankees have a, a stake in Yes Network and so if the ratings go up there and advertising revenue goes up there, the Yankees get better. And and if Nike and Gatorade put out cloying commercials about Jeter taking a final hat tip or whatever, maybe that helps your, your brand awareness to some extent. So hard to calculate those things, but I'm sure someone was factoring them in.
0: Yeah, yeah. I said that the premise is the the financial thing, but now that I think about it, the premise of money mattering is that you'll then be able to turn around and spend that money on players and win. Mm-hmm. There's like a there's an inception thing going on here. <laughs> um. So, Ben. Yeah. The Yankees. Mm. How do they get, How do they get out of this? I just don't see how they get out of this.
1: I, yeah, I don't see how they get out of it this year. You can. Well, how do they
0: get out of it? How do they get out of it? I mean, I know that they just signed all of the Dominican Republic, right? But those kids are sixteen. So let's 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 say, let's assume they're going to try to be good before twenty twenty one. How do they get out of this before then? Because they are, they have so much money spent, and mm-hmm. that whole the whole luxury tax thing, just didn't they didn't do it it backfired it was like a massive backfire right Mm -hmm. like it was unrealistic probably and then even if it was realistic they didn't stick to it and it ended up with them being worse off than they would have been if they just blown past it in the first place yes fair assessment I think so yeah well it's hard to say I,
1: I wrote in the essay that they're kind of still constructing their team or they have been constructing their team for an environment where conditions really favored the yankees back in the late 90s when players who were older than 30 were really productive and it was easy to outspend other teams and so the yankees could just go get free agents whenever they wanted and those free agents were actually still productive and now it's hard to do all of those things it's it's harder to outspend other teams and accept all of the penalties that come with that harder to find good free agents because other teams have enough money to lock up their young players to extensions and older players are not as productive these days perhaps for PED related reasons so the conditions seem to to be stacked against the Yankees in a way that they weren't 15 years ago and then the question is yeah how do they get from that old model of baseball team to the new model of baseball team and yet you could say that they could have won with the old model last year fairly easily. if you just change a few things like if yeah, if
3: yeah. Carlos
1: Beltron and Jacoby Ellsbury had hit their projections even, had just had just done what Pakoda expected them to do, uh, or Brian McCann, rather Ellsbury pretty much did do what he was expected to do. But if McCann and Beltron had had done what what they should have been expected to do perhaps or what projection systems expected them to do, Yankees probably would have made the playoffs, or if they had done the the spending on free agency approach, but had just signed Robinson Cano instead of the the just kind of garbage second baseman that they did use, who were something like five wins worse collectively than Robinson Cano was, then they still would have made the playoffs. So they might have been able to skate by just doing the things that they have been doing, if certain things had had broken right for them, even though they are very old and even though they are year after year among the most injured teams, which you would sort of expect for an old team. But maybe this offseason is the beginning of a change. Uh, and and who is it? Michael Bauman, I think, in his essay compared baseball teams to super tankers. Like, you have to start turning them long before they actually have to be turned And so maybe it will take a while to convert the Yankees into some sort of team that, that spends a lot, but also develops talent from within. Um, they are still kind of a long way away from that, but you could see the beginnings of it with what they did this winter.
0: Uh, we'll get to that in a second. I do want to push back a little bit on your, how close they were hypothesis. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's true that they won 84 games and were only a couple of games out of the playoffs, but they also uh, were outscored. Mm-hmm. Their third order winning percentage was uh, was just as sorry. Mm-hmm. And you know, presumably, if you swap out uh, you know any detail of the universe, you can't count on them to outperform Pythag by seven runs or whatever. So mm-hmm. uh, they weren't actually that close to being as good as most of the other teams in the American. Yeah, team, probably. Yeah, you can... Could- yeah. You could make a case people use that as
1: evidence that Joe Girardi is great, um, and I'm I'm not really comfortable with the the outperforming Pythag as a indicator of managerial ability one way or another. But I guess you could say that if bullpen having a good back of the bullpen is one way to outperform your run differential, Yankees had that. They had Delon He's
0: He's outperformed Pythag two three two years, years out of sure. six. Three well, years out of the six, I guess. Yeah, okay. four, out of,
1: well, four out of seven. Well, I don't find it a compelling argument, but I could buy that—that that maybe the bullpen was part of it. Maybe having Dylan Betances, who was essentially having the most valuable relief season, uh, like since relievers started being used the way that they're used right now, or since since Rivera, uh, when he was a setup man in '96, that probably has to help in addition to having David Robertson being able to deploy Batonsis kind of all over the place, which they did at least earlier in the year. Batonsis was used in the middle innings very often until later in the season when he was used more like a typical setup man. But pitching 90 innings or whatever he pitched in multiple inning outings and not allowing any runs is probably a a good way to outperform your Pythag once, at least. I don't know whether it's sustainable.
0: All right, so as for this offseason... Uh, what are your thoughts?
1: Well, uh, so they they never did spend the the, you know, on the big free agent Chase Headley was the biggest that they got, uh, bigger bigger than many expected that contract to be, as I recall.
2: <laughs> um,
1: what a jerk you are! <laughs> but um, so so it 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 sort of surprises me. I mean, I, I wouldn't have been shocked at all if they just had cracked and signed Max Scherzer or someone. But the fact that they didn't finally, that they actually stuck to their, we're not spending big this winter plan, which they have, you know, they've used that rhetoric before, as long as it's useful and then abandoned it when it's not. And they didn't really this winter. And, and the things that they did, I mean, they got younger, right? Not, not young, but younger, they made the trade with the Marlins to get Ivaldi, which cost them Martin Prado and and they got Garrett Jones back and, and other guys. So so that made them a little younger. They actually got a a pitcher who's what twenty-four and could be somewhat durable. They got Didi Gregorius, who is also in his mid-twenties. So they actually have position players under thirty now, which is a change. They didn't have that at all last year. And they have a couple of those guys now. So that's something. And you look at their starting rotation. And, uh, you know, other than other than Sabathia and Capuano, pretty much everyone on their entire pitching staff, bullpen included, is under 30. So there's more youth there than there was. And if you couple that with the international spending spree, which you're right, that's going to take forever to show up. In the major leagues but it's it's progress perhaps and you know their their farm system is what bp had it 21st overall so not the worst but not not really an asset at this point still a lot of talent in the lower levels so yeah still far away but you could see that if they continued to operate like this presumably they would get there at some point they'd get to the point where they wouldn't be saddled with lots of old guys on bad contracts but you're right it will take a few years for those bad contracts to go away or at least for them to stop costing them money even if they, the players are no longer employed by the team. and there was also a bit of a front office shakeup on the Tampa scouting minor league side, the you know longtime, Senior VP of Baseball Operations, Mark Newman, retired. The the Director of Player Development was, was let go. The Assistant Director of Minor League Operations was let go. So there's some new blood, although it's really just promoted blood that was already within the organization. But the Yankees' drafting and player development couldn't really go anywhere but up, I don't think. That's another thing that I looked at in the essay the compared every team's first-round draft picks or first-round and supplemental round draft picks since the Jeter draft, since the 92 Jeter draft. And Yankees have gotten 17.4 warp from their 30 picks in that time frame, which is second-worst behind only the Padres, who were 17.2. And, of course, that doesn't factor in that the Yankees drafted Mark Pryor and Garrett Cole, and didn't sign either of them. And, of course, they're picking later in the first round, and they trade lots of prospects. And those are all part of the reason why they don't show up very high on that leaderboard. But it also seems like it almost has to be, to some
0: extent, a
1: failure of drafting and or player development.
0: So the last thing I want to ask you about is Moncada, And I just I can't figure out how they don't sign him. Uh, not, not because like they needed to, or like, you gotta get him or whatever, not like that. But they're essentially, anytime they sign a player, they're paying, what is it? 40% more. How much do they pay? What is their tax right now? Oh, gosh,
1: I don't remember what it is, but, but yeah, a lot, but
0: they're paying a lot more. So they're saying we're the Yankees. We can, uh, we can value a player, you know, uh, less than you and still pay more for him because we're the Yankees. We can afford it. Right. They're willing to pay that surcharge on players uh, every time they sign a player. And so then you have Mankata, who is the same tax for everybody, mm-hmm. uh, essentially. And in fact, it's arguably slightly less for the Yankees than for most teams because they've already uh, suffered the penalties of going over their bonus pool, but you know not, not less than the Red Sox. So ignore that I said that. But uh, they are essentially getting what is, by Yankees' uh, economy... A 40% discount on him because Mm -hmm. they don't have to pay any tax that nobody else has to pay. So, how is it possible that they can have a 40% discount? Kind of. It's not really 40%. It's 40% of 140%. Anyway, they get a big discount on him effectively (laughs) and then they don't get him. Doesn't that seem like kind of odd?
1: Yeah. (laughs) I mean, well, they offered him, what, 27 million, which is. $1 $1 million per Yankees World Series title, so maybe they took his rejection of that as a sign that he's not a championship-caliber player. I don't know.
0: Well, they should have offered him $33 million for <laughs> for the six, six World
1: League. Series that they'll win with him. Exactly. Yeah, I, I don't know. My non-baseball editor at Grantland, Mark Lissanti, is a Yankees fan, and when the Red Sox signed him, he just emailed me this sad one-sentence email that said, I just don't understand anything anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh and yeah, I didn't have a great explanation for for why that was. Clearly they liked him as a player and they would have liked to have him. And it's it's I don't know, I mean, it's nice that they're being that they're exercising some financial restraint on old guys, but it doesn't seem like like this is in any way comparable to that if you're going to spend on anyone, spend on the the 19-year-old high-ceiling position player prospect, like the one thing that you don't have. So I don't really know how to explain that. It came up on the panel at the Sloan Conference this Saturday. We were discussing it, and Sandy Alderson was on that panel. and With you? You and him? Yes. You and
0: Sandy Alderson discussed this?
1: (laughs) And and others. Wow. Uh, But yeah, uh, he was seated at my right hand, my right-hand man, Sandy Alderson. And because I was on the panel with Dave Cameron and and Dan Brooks and Jonah Carey was moderating and we had been talking about how maybe it's tough to convince ownership to spend on a guy who costs a lot but won't contribute soon and the sort of things we talked about on the podcast last week. And uh, Alderson said that maybe it's more a matter of just concentrating all of those financial resources on one player where, you know, when normally prospects are risky and you want to get a lot of them in case some of them bust and some of them will still succeed. But prospects don't cost a whole lot, but this prospect does. So if you get this prospect, you are concentrating a lot of your financial resources in a risky asset. And all that is certainly true. And for many teams, maybe that would be a compelling reason not to sign him for the Yankees. I, I don't know. I don't really have a good reason why the Yankees shouldn't have spent 5 million more or 10 million more or whatever, whatever it took.
0: All right, Ben, how many wins? Mm. Well, Pocota has the
1: Yankees projected to have a losing record for the first time. in I don't know how long last year was the first time that Pocota projected the Yankees to win fewer than 91 wins in the entire history of Pocota, which, you know, is 12 years or something. And last year they were projected to win eighty something and they won they won eighty something again. And now they're projected to win eighty. And I I like some of the things that they did this winter. It's interesting, they've they kinda gone after like high babip guys. It's it's weird to think that high babip guys could possibly be underrated in twenty fifteen. And yet they got Brandon McCarthy seemingly on the cheap. And Ivaldi was one of those guys, and Justin Wilson was one of those guys, and maybe David Carpenter was one of those guys. I, You know, and they signed Miller. It seemed like they should have a decent bullpen. There are things to like about the team. I kind of just have them in the same 80-something range that they've been the last couple of years. So I guess I'll just pick a number, and I'll say 83. The AL East range is so... Small it's like the the win range Projected win range from first place to Last place is 10 wins right now So I wouldn't be shocked if Everyone on the Yankees Somehow stayed healthy And they won 89 Games and that won the division And I wouldn't be shocked if they finish Last and I also wouldn't be shocked if they Finish last and were 10 games behind The winner so it's kind of a crazy Mishmash of a division more
0: likely to win 100 or to lose 95? Lose 95,
1: I would say. I would say they they have more more downside risk than upside risk, probably. Just just by virtue of still being old. And they won't be as old as last year. Last year was like the fourth oldest lineup of the wildcard era. Uh, although not the oldest Yankees team. The 2012 Yankees, who won 95 games, were even older. But they were old, and as long as you're old, you probably have a lot of injury risk, and and even I mean their rotation, the top three guys are Sabathia, Tanaka, and Pineda, and you can throw Capuano in there, I guess, if you want, also. And it's really hard to rely on any of those guys to pitch a full season.
0: All right, uh, a couple of people have asked me to do this, so Uh-oh. I. Not this, what? You don't no. what is it
1: even? What are you even <laughs> I saying? don't know. I thought no. I was gonna be made to do something unpleasant.
0: No, no, a couple of people have asked me to us to say what the next team we're gonna be talking about is so that mm-hmm. they can the essay in advance. Okay. So uh we might as well do that, starting now, right? Sure. Alright, so tomorrow we'll have the Indians uh, preview, so that'll be that. Okay. And
1: okay. now, after this musical break, Sahadev Sharma will speak to Chad Jennings.
3: Welcome to the second half of the Effectively Wild podcast. I'm Sahadev Sharma, associate editor for Baseball Prospectus. With me is Chad Jennings, who covers the Yankees for the Journal News. Chad, I'm gonna gonna start it right off with the subject that I'm sure many of us are sick of. I I, I guess I want to know. Uh, I mean, we've talked about a rod. Why do I feel like I can guess what this is? <laughs> yeah, you, you <laughs> you've you've probably you're probably sick of it. So I guess what I want to <laughs> know is is what's it like covering this is it a little surreal Has it been going on for so long that you're just sick of it and you just want it to end what what's it like to be part of the you know the media side of this
2: yeah it, i mean some of it's annoying i mean you know to just sort of be focusing on the same thing but at the same time i, I mean it's really fascinating you know i mean mm-hmm. i think a lot of us are sick of it but it's a it's a really interesting thing that's happening here. I mean, I don't know that we've ever seen anything quite like it. You know, I mean, it's not only the, the coming back from the suspension, it's not only the injury, it's not only the age. I mean, it's, it's all those things with a player who has been, I mean, you know, one of the great players of the past two decades. So what's his baseline? I mean, you go back to 2013 when he was, I mean, he had a terrible year for him. His LPS was still higher than anybody on the Yankees last season, you know? I mean, which says more about the Yankees last year than it says about Alex, but, I mean, this is still a guy who has been so good in the past that even if he's a a terrible player by his fans, he could still maybe be useful, maybe. And then you add in all the other extra off-the-field stuff, you know, the lawsuits, fighting with the team, publicly bickering, the fact that you really never know what the man's going to say or do. It it, it is interesting to cover. I'm relatively sick
3: of covering it, (laughs) but it but it is pretty fascinating. I mean... As far as his relationship with the media has that changed over the years since he's been with the Yankees was it ever I mean you know he's I think we've known about his PED use for I'm not sure how many years but it's been a while now is it is it yeah. is it less tense is it is it Is there any sense that it's getting better or is it just – is there this – is he trying to repair that relationship so he can kind of move on and and try and play for however many years he wants to play and and not have this cloud hanging over his head?
2: Yeah, you know, when he showed up in camp unannounced the other day on on last Monday, it it really seemed like we were maybe going to see a different Alex. I mean, he was predictably surrounded by a bunch of media and he didn't blow off questions. He he wasn't going into detail. He wouldn't give us you know, the, the specifics of what he took and when he took it, why he took it, all those sort of things. He wouldn't answer the big question. But he also wasn't dismissive of any of it. He, he, he was engaging. It did seem like he, he was willing to talk and understood why the questions were being asked. He, he had some line about, you know, even if, I had, uh, even if I had reasons for it, there's nothing I can say that justifies it. And I felt like that was, you know, that's about as good as you can get from him in a situation like that. But now I feel like in this past week, since he's now been in camp, it's kind of gone back to the old Alex where he, he – I mean, he's always available. And when you get him talking about baseball, he's great. He can really get in-depth and, and he does understand the game very well. But th- there is sort of that tension is back, you know. I mean, just today we were asking him about when, when are you going to play again. You know, Joe, Joe Girardi says that it's going to be up to you when you make your debut. And it's all like, I'll talk to Joe first. I don't know yet. Uh, you know, he's just kind of really dismissing the question – And and as if, you know, he just doesn't understand why we're asking it or shouldn't be asking it or something. Um, So some of that's back. And, and you know, he's coming back to some of the stuff that he's done before. So, you know, he wants to talk about But when we show up, he kind of, you know, will start this sort of every man conversation. You know, he'll want to ask about a big boxing match that's coming up. You know, something where you're like, it's like his attempt to make small talk with us. And it's always a little bit awkward and feels forced.
3: Yeah, you mentioned you know playing actually playing the game, and you said you don't really know what to expect from him, uh, you know. But but when he has played, he he's been one of the better Yankees of of late. Uh, but he's about he's going to be forty. He's he didn't play all of last year, and when he when he played in two thousand thirteen, it, it was coming off a hip injury. I mean, what what is reasonable expectation for you know end of career Alex Rodriguez?
2: Yeah, you know, I mean, my, I guess I'm going into this with the bar set at expecting maybe a a guy who should be able to be a useful platoon DH. Yeah, I mean, that's I feel like the last time we saw him at the end of a season, it was maybe I don't think that was in 2012 when he was benched in the playoffs and was being pinch hit for against righties. You know, so maybe that's maybe maybe he can be more than that. But I kind of look back at that time, and you know, that felt like a guy who had aged and and. You know, couldn't hit you know, a, a big fastball from a right-hander anymore. I, I don't expect him to be able to move well enough to really play the field very well. That's kind of where my bar is set as a guy who you know, maybe can play regularly as a DH but can be still probably productive against lefties and, and who knows if he can hit righties. But that's, to me, that's the, that's the low bar. Um, I, I do think you could make the case that for a guy like Alex, who has been through the lower body injuries, the two hip surgeries and everything, uh, there's some chance that a year off has helped him get fully healthy again. And and maybe with that, he's added some strength in the lower half and and can drive the ball again and and will hit for some power. But uh, that also seems like a real pie in the sky, trying to be overly optimistic evaluation. I mean, the, the reality is I don't think that you can go into this expecting him to be particularly good, but I do think that he has such a history and such a track record that you at least I think the Yankees honestly owe it to themselves to to see, to, to find out, I mean, to give it a shot and see what he is. Um, they either needed to cut ties with him because of all the nonsense, or they need to at least bring him in here and see what he can do and find out if he can be productive
3: again. Yeah. Uh, there are other players on this team other than Alex Rodriguez, so uh, <laughs> uh, I guess it's we're allowed to move on. But uh, the guy who, you know, I guess is – I look at it in a similar way as far as uh, a Rod in the sense that you know he wa- it, it was one of the best ever in it is at his craft and now he's he's just a, a fraction of that player. CC Sabathia, uh, you know, is it? Are we getting to that point where if I mean he's his health is a question as well, and and so are a couple of the arms behind him. But are we getting to that point where maybe Tanaka and Pineda, if they're healthy as well, uh, kind of move ahead of him as far as? Uh, you know the stars of that rotation, the guys that they're really relying upon. Is it is it finally time that Sabathia takes a back seat? I guess Corota is gone now, so it, it's inevitable that Sabathia kind of has to move back.
2: Yeah, I've been when I've written out the Yankees projected rotation, I've, I've listed Sabathia as the number three starter all winter. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he pitches Opening Day, just because I'd still think that in that clubhouse he is one hundred percent viewed as the leader of the staff and. I think those, the pitchers in there believe in him and think that he can, can still be great again, and, and so he may get that sort of opening day nod just because of who he is and who he's been. But, yeah, oh, I mean, I certainly I think that the, as far as, uh, you know, ace-like qualities, I think the, the rotation is led by Tanaka and Tineda, Uh, you know, as long as they're healthy. And, and then CeCe, if, look, if CeCe can become what Corotta was the past few years for the Yankees, I, I think the Yankees would be ecstatic about that. If he can just be – a guy who can transition into the second phase of his career where he's a, a steady source in the middle of the, of the of the rotation. You know, if he could still be kind of a workhorse guy, give him 200 innings a year and pitch perfectly well enough, you know, for them to win some. It doesn't have to be dominating more. It doesn't have to have those, those like, bursts of brilliance, you know. I, I think if he could be that, that'd be great. But, but who knows? I mean, you know, he was still pretty good just going back to 2012. 2013, it started to fall apart a little bit. So the year he lost all that weight, and, and and I wonder how much that played into it, if he was maybe overthinking it, you know, trying to, you know, realize that he was getting a little bit older, and, and maybe maybe that threw him off, and then he had a knee injury. So who knows? He's, it's like you were saying, the, the comparison to Alex, uh, you know, take away all of the crazy off-the-field stuff with Alex. It, it's, it's a decent comparison because it is a guy who has been a really, really high-end player, and now there's just a lot of mystery with him. You know, how much of that decline was a, – a, is going to is going to sustain and, and how how has the injury affected him? I don't think you know. I think that there's some hope. He talks to Andy Pettit a lot. He and Pettit are really close friends and have been since the, since he got to New York. And and I think if he can sort of learn something from Andy and, and become that kind of pitcher here in the twilight of his career, I, I think he could still be viable and valuable to the Yankees. Um, but you just well, I mean, you just really don't know what to expect from him.
3: You know, both A. Rod and Sabathia opted out of their contracts, and the Yankees uh, brought them back aboard for huge, huge deals. Uh, I'm, I, you know, I'm trying to think. I think A. Rod opted out before the 2009 season, so I mean they they got a World yeah. Series with A. Rod being a huge part of that. But Sabathia is really taking a step back. Do you think the Yankees have learned anything from that? I mean, they're always going to be big spenders. I can't imagine the Yankees aren't going to be big spenders, but it was almost like they were given an out of those deals. And it's like, hey, the, these guys are going to be on the wrong side of 30, and, and they're still paying them huge money. Is there anything to be learned? Is there something to be learned from that, I guess? did they Are they going to change the way they go about things in any way? And and we got a huge offseason coming up where I'm assuming the Yankees should be uh, – big spenders. I mean I, I think all the big teams, the the Yankees, the the Red Sox, the Cubs, the the Dodgers are all going to be big spenders this offseason. But but is there anything to be learned from from their past?
2: Yeah, I think I think so. And I think we've already seen it. You know, I mean the, the unwillingness to go ten years on Robinson Cano, I think can be tied directly to the ten year contract they gave Alex. I mean I, I think that they they became really gun shy about those really long term deals. I mean they, they were willing to give Canoe more money per year than Seattle did. That wasn't about average annual value. That wasn't a luxury tax decision. That was all about not willing to commit that long and and fear for that just inevitable, horrible last three, four years of that contract. I I think that's a lesson from Alex. I think the lesson from CeCe, maybe we saw it this winter. I mean, in, in the reluctance to get involved with Scherzer, the reluctance to get involved with Lester, you know, some of that I think goes to, they've seen pitchers who have been really good break down. I mean, I, I remember that when they re-signed CeCe, when it was, when CeCe was right on the verge of hopping out and they gave him the extension and all that stuff, I felt like they should do it. You know, I mean, I, I, it just, you didn't think that the pitching market had anything else. He's been so good. He's been such a workhorse. I I felt like they didn't have much choice, but to, but to give him a new contract. And it's just been a mess ever since then. I, I, you know, it's a, it, you, there, there are no good contracts that go that long. I mean, it just there, there's such risk mm-hmm. and it becomes such a problem. And and I think every team knows that. You know, I remember talking to an executive a couple of years ago about, uh, I can't remember now, gosh, uh, the Royals had signed a, a veteran starting pitcher. I can't now remember who it was. But I remember telling this guy, I said, well, look what the Royals gave this guy. I said, they thought he was worth it. And this guy said, the Royals don't think he's worth that. Nobody thinks he's worth that. That's just what you have to pay to get it. And, and I think that's, that's some of it. They were, for a while, I think, were not picking and choosing their battles. It was They had the money, and so they would just go do it. And now I think they're trying to pick their battles a little bit more. And for right now, with all of these contracts still in the books, I mean, like you said, I think the Yankees should be big spenders next off season. but there's really not much coming off the books for them. I mean, they, they're not losing any – they're not out of the Beltran deal yet. They're not out of the Teixeira deal yet. Uh, not out of CC yet. I mean, it, there's a lot of, uh, they still are going to have a lot on the books and some guys like Pineda who's going to get an arbitration rate. Nova, they got to think about it. Uh, I'm not sure when we're going to see them really spin big again. It might be another two years.
3: Hmm. That'd be fascinating if that's the case, because I mean, if these arms make it as many of, you know, there's a ton of arms. You're well aware of it. I'm sure Yeah, oh yeah. there's so yeah. many really huge arms. I mean, elite, Type arms that are going to be available, and to not see the Yankees in on some of those arms could really change the market. One guy, oh yeah, no doubt. Well, and I was going to say too, what it could come down to just they've got to see what this season brings. I mean, if if Taneda gets through the year
2: healthy and pitches really well, if Tanaka's elbow doesn't blow out, if CC does become a middle of the rotation type guy, if Nova comes back from Tommy John and is pitching pretty well. I mean, there's four starters that are pretty good. And if that happens, then maybe the Yankees don't have to get involved with that free agent market for all of that pitch. And now, I mean, that's a extreme best-case scenario. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and if, if that doesn't work, if Tanaka does blow out or something or, or CC's a mess, then maybe they will just sort of have to bite the bullet and go spend money again. But I do think that they're wanting to wait and kind of – I think this is a very cross-their-fingers kind of year. Let's see if it can work. And then if it doesn't, then maybe they adjust – almost back to their old selves where they spend again. But I think right now they feel like they kind of have to see what they have and see if this can work.
3: You know, their, their system is starting to get healthy again. They, they went crazy in uh, the international market and got like Mm -hmm. 10 of the top 30. I want to say, according to most, uh, outlets, uh, you know that they have Aaron Judge there. They, uh, so, you know, depending on who you talk to, a lot of people like Severino. So that they have a nice system. It's it's hard. It's not you know elite by any means, but they they didn't end up with Moncada, and I I was surprised that that they if anyone was going to outbid them, I thought it would be the Dodgers. So I was surprised to see the Red Sox outbid them. I've seen quotes that it sounded like Cashman would wanted to be a little more aggressive, and I it made it sound like he was passing the buck to Stein uh, Hal. And then I saw another quote that made it seem like Hal wasn't – it really wasn't on Hal. Can, can you explain what what was the process there, where, why Why the Yankees didn't end up with Placotta? <laughs>
2: well, I mean, at the end of the day, it does, It still comes down to money. I mean, whoever we want to blame it on, it, it was about money for every
3: team. Yeah. I mean,
2: it, there, there, I don't think there was a GM in baseball who didn't want to sign this guy. <laughs> and who, who, I mean, it, you know, it was – it's, I don't, I, it's pretty rare that you read such universal glowing reviews about a player. Um, so, I, yeah, I don't I, – this was clearly not a baseball ops decision. You know, this was the, – the, they had scouted they this guy just like every other team and knew how good he was. But I do think that maybe it does come down to – I mean, even knowing how good he is, how much do you recommend spending on this? I mean, it's, a, it's an awkward – Thing even if Cashman and Billy Epler and the whole all of the department really wants him. I mean, I mean, do you go to Hal and say spend a hundred million dollars on the kid? I I, I don't know. I, I don't know how you justify that. And, I, and so I think it came down to kind of everything. It's such a strange market, and you don't really know what it's worth. You don't know how to put money into it. You know, Hal talked about that initially they were going to offer. Uh, he went well, anyway. Hal doubled his offer. To, you know, he was going to jump up to 25, and that ended up not being enough. It's, I think that mostly what it played into was just the uncertainty of how much is this really worth in a world where we've never seen this kind of money for an international amateur like this. I, I think that made it unusual, where ownership who has to put the money on the table is understandably uncomfortable putting the money on the table, and baseball ops who love the player are maybe a little bit uncomfortable pushing too much for this when you know how much of a risk that this really is you know I mean the Yankees are really hesitant to get in on any of those big international pros for a long time and then they chose to finally jump in on Tanaka because I think they just sort of couldn't sit back and wait anymore but this was such an unusual situation I think that it was just you know they were willing to pay a lot of money they're willing to pay way more than anybody ever played paid for an amateur international amateur before but how far do you push that where an owner is comfortable and the baseball ops group is comfortable saying, here's our recommendation. You know, I think it can, it can come from both sides where it's all a money issue, but it's still both on baseball ops and on ownership.
3: Yeah, it certainly was an interesting situation and you're right. There may be a point where we, this Cuban market kind of, uh, we, we reach the tipping point where the prices are just over the top for average talent. I don't think I. I mean, I think you you agree that Moncada certainly didn't doesn't sound like an average talent. But but uh, there there may be a point where we reach that where people are just paying way too much for for your run of the mill uh, players just because it, that's that's what the market has has deemed their value at because it's just it just has gotten a little crazy. Uh, but, oh yeah. And, and it's—I mean—the the Yankees are just an interesting case because you—you you expect them to just win everything, and that hasn't been the case of late. And—and and it's just—it's odd to see them, uh, you know, not being the most aggressive uh, in whatever market it is, especially when, with the guy as hyped as Makata. But I, I guess that's—we're we're in a different reality now, and—and. Uh, and, and, I, I guess my, I'm wondering, is this, are, are we entering, like you said, it's they may not spend next off season. Are we entering sort of a transition with them uh, that, that they have certain, like uh, almost placeholders in certain, certain spots. So are mm-hmm. we seeing like a static Yankees for where, where they may not be at the, the cream of the crop for a few years? Um, maybe. I think
2: we're, I think we're definitely in a, uh, you know, in a wait and see Yankees right now. You know, I mean, I look. You know, we were talking about the farm system earlier, and look at some of the things they have. You know, they got Steven Drew as kind of a stopgap at second because they know Rob Rebsnyder he's one of the better second base prospects in baseball. He spent the second half of last season in AAA. He could be in the big leagues this season. So there's a stopgap there, and they have a solution in house. However, when they had to fill in at shortstop, and had to replace Jeter, they didn't go get a stopgap there. They went and got Gregorius, a guy who they're kind of dreaming on that maybe he can be a long-term answer, because they don't have that guy who's close to filling in. Carlos Beltran in right field has two years left. Aaron Judge is set to open this season in A. In theory, that puts him two years from the big leagues. Mark Teixeira, two years left on his contract. Greg Bird's going to open in AA. A. essentially puts him, in theory, two years away from the big league. I think the Yankees do want to see they have some pieces that are good and that could fill in and could – sort of finally give them that young core that's going to let them spend a little less money, put a little less money, I should say put a little less money on the payroll that way. And then maybe that does free them to, when Beltran comes off the book, when share comes off the book, they can go spend that money on whatever else they need. You know, if Aaron Judge is able to step in and play right field at the minimum, then Beltran's contract comes off, and then they can actually spend that money somewhere else and not just have to spend that on another Veteran that back that's going to break down eventually in right field. I think that they are really at this weird sort of tipping point where their their roster is so overcrowded with massive contracts they can't get out of those yet, and they have enough interesting talent in the minor league that's relatively close that they kind of want to wait and see what that is. But so I think they are waiting a year to right now kind of figure out what they are and and what they have. I mean I think this is the this may not be the transition year. I do I kind of think of this as the Let's see what this is here, and then they'll figure out what they can do after that.
3: I I mean it's it's nice to see them do that. I you know, just uh, patching over holes by spending money it, it only gets you so far especially in today's uh you know free agent world i mean i guess next free agency is different than what we've seen in a while but still uh yeah. it, it, it rarely it, it hasn't really worked out uh of late so it's it almost sounds like what they're, they're trying to uh find that magic from the mid 90s of you know really building through the farm and and then uh filling holes in free agency instead of Instead of uh, you know building through free agency, so it'd be nice to see the Yankees do that. Before I let you go, Chad, uh, not it, this isn't what's the key for the 2015 season for the Yankees, but it, I, I'd like to know what what storyline or event you're looking forward to covering as far as you know uh, uh, someone that that covers the Yankees. What what intrigues you the most for
2: 2015? Huh? Yeah, that's interesting. I I think. I guess what's interesting to me is that this is such a boomer bust team in so many ways. I mean, the health of the rotation, the, the bounce-back idea of the veterans, I think it is interesting to watch the Yankees, who are what they are and who have been this sort of monster for the past 20 years or so. It's interesting to see them at a time when everything could – this could be the year that it all comes crashing down. I mean, this could be a really bad year. But if the rotation stays healthy – and a guy like Beltran comes back from the elbow injury, and if Teixeira, he's not going to be an MVP anymore, but if he can be a 30-home run guy, if McCann can kind of get some things back, if Gregorius can be an interesting infielder, or, you know, good enough player today, I mean, I think they could be surprising. I think I, do, I think it's, it's strange to watch a team where, from the beginning, you can very easily outline how it could all go terribly wrong and exactly how it could all go right. You know, this this team could go so drastically in either direction. In my mind, that's sort of interesting to watch because I I think we really could either see just a total downfall of the team that used to be just a big, bad monster of Major League Baseball, or we could see the team, for the first time, the Yankees are counted out heading into the season, and some guys actually make good and make this team kind of a – Almost a Cinderella. I mean, like who would have ever thought that would even be a possibility for this team? But it kind of is the case, you know. And I think that would be it would be interesting to watch that. To watch this team almost defy expectations, that would be interesting. And it would also be interesting to watch them just crumble.
3: Yeah. I mean, there's going to be plenty to watch. And, and like you even said, to kick it off with A-Rod, you know, it's, it's, it gets a little tiresome, but use the word that I have it typed out right here on my screen, but I find it fascinating. I I still think it's fascinating just to see how it plays out. I'm, I'm interested to see how he ends up, and and this whole team. I mean, you said it; it's so boomer busted. I mean, there's former MVPs, there's guys that are going to be in the Hall of Fame, and they're not, you, know, they're not at that level anymore. But if they find that one magic here yeah. and it kind of comes together, it'd be, it'd be a surprise, and it's weird to think of the Yankees as that team that could. That uh could defy every all all the odds and, and make a run. But I, I guess we'll see how it plays out. Chad, before I let you go, why don't you uh why don't you let the listeners know where they can find you on Twitter and where they can read your work?
2: Oh yeah, I'm uh, right through the journal news, which most people don't even know that name. Mostly if you if you know my work, you probably know the Low Hud Yankees blog, which is uh that's our newspaper's website, and I'm on the I'm on the Twitters at uh low head yankee.
3: All right, that's Chad Jennings who covers the Yankees for the journal news. I'm Sahadev Sharma. You can follow me at on Twitter at Sahadev Sharma. Chad, thanks so much for joining us. Take care. Hey, absolutely, my pleasure. All
1: right, that's it for the Yankees preview. Thanks for listening. You can rate and review and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Join our Facebook group at Facebook.com groups slash effectively wild. Send us emails for this week's listener email show at podcast at baseball One plug for the Stompers. Many of you have already bought Stompers merchandise and have proudly displayed it in photos in the Facebook group. We appreciate it. There's an open tryout for the Stompers on Saturday, March 14th from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. So if you are a baseball player or you want to pretend that you're a baseball player and try out for the Stompers, you can find a link to register on StompersBaseball.com. Click on News, and it's the first thing you'll see. As Sam mentioned, we will be back tomorrow with the Indians Preview Podcast. And as always, our last note please support our sponsor, the Baseball Reference Play Index, by going to baseballreference.com, subscribing to the play index using the coupon code BP, and getting the discounted price of $30 on a one year subscription. Three, two,
3: one. Good morning. (coughs) (laughs) Sorry.